0: Hello and welcome. My name is Raj Basaud and I'm a consultant psychiatrist based in London. And I'm here at the Royal College Annual Congress of Psychiatry in the Barbican. And joining me right now is Professor Mary Phillips, who is Professor of Psychiatry and Clinical Translational Science at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, Mary, you've just been giving a talk about the biomarkers of mood disorders. Could you say a little bit about what you've been talking about here at the Congress? Yes, sure Raj. So basically
1: what I'm interested in doing in Pittsburgh is understanding how the brain works or or works badly um, in people with mood disorders and more importantly how this work can help us identify measures, biological measures, that in turn allow us to identify which children are most likely to go on and develop mood disorders in the future. Um, And that's the kind of general theme of my work in Pittsburgh. Um, So what we've been really doing is interested in looking at a couple of brain circuits that we know are important, or we believe to be important in helping us understand the pathology of of these very serious brain, brain psychiatric illnesses. So the reward circuitry I talked about today was the reward circuitry. And this is a very important circuitry in the brain, centered in prefrontal cortex and striatum, which are old and new areas of the human brain. And the reason this is it, this circuitry is very important, it is, it allows us uh, to kind of modulate, adapt our behaviours according to the environment. So it's very important that we, you know. Uh, uh, pursue rewards and shy away from likely losses and punishments. If our brain circuitry for reward is not working properly, then we're unlikely to make appropriate decisions about our behaviours in different contexts. So with that in mind, we embarked on a series of studies and a research programme focusing on this uh, circuitry reward circuitry, and asked the question, are people who are vulnerable to getting ill with mood disorders likely to have abnormalities in this circuitry and moreover can we identify measures of abnormalities in this circuitry in children who haven't yet developed any disease or who are showing early signs but we're not quite sure what kind of illness they're going to get later. And the simple answer to those two questions is yes we can. Um, So what I talked about today in, in answer to the first question was um, a series of findings in studies performed in Pittsburgh, but also a study performed in Cardiff University, where I had a consulting position for a few years. where well, we found that a particular area of the brain circuitry for reward was abnormally active in people who currently have a whole host of different mood disorders. So people who have bipolar disorder, people who have unipolar depression, people who have bipolar 2 disorder, all seem to show abnorm- the same kind of abnormality in the same area of the brain when they are involved in reward processing. And this area of the brain is an area of the brain called the left ventrolateral prefrontal cortex, which is a key part of reward circuitry that allows us to kind of modulate our arousal in the context of potential um, future rewards. The idea is if it's, if it's too high, um, one may become over aroused and, and thrill seeking, looking for rewards when it's inappropriate. If it's underactive, uh, one may be a kind of uh, you know anhedonic, depressive, uh, non-risk taking, um, almost uh, depressive personality kind of person. So what we found is yes, this area of the brain is super active, hyperactive. Um, to a a large extent in people, regardless of their mood disorder, whether it's Bipolar 1, Bipolar 2, Mm. Unipolar, and it's there in euthymic states and depression depression states, suggesting it's a trait marker. But what, in our opinion, is probably the most exciting finding is that we we see the same pattern of abnormality in a large group of children who are at risk of future mood disorders or who have already got the early signs of mood disorders. And so it's there in children. So these are children aged 8 to uh, 17, and they're still showing the same pattern of abnormality. And what is more, is when we ask the question, well, does activity in that area, does heightened activity in that area, actually predict the future for these children? The answer is yes. So those children who have greater levels of activity in this area are the ones who go on to develop worsening of mood symptoms, get more dysregulated, more emotionally labile, 16 months later. So we're pretty excited by these findings and we are you know, using those now to think about ways in which we can probably intervene early To um, with this brain circuitry abnormalities in mind. You know, can we use that to tailor our treatments in a better way?
0: Can you go as far as predicting which mood disorder people are going to get later or you just know it's going to be a mood disorder of some description?
1: It's the latter. So we know, I mean, and this, is, this actually is an interesting question you're really asking. Um, the idea here, and this is what I also talked about, is should we be thinking about brain circuits for different disorders or should we be thinking really more about brain circuitry underlying behavioural spectrums or behavioural dimensions that span the range, you know, that cut across different disorders? Now, in the US, this is a big topic because it is quite a controversial area, obviously. Um, but the idea is that if we're going to really identify brain markers of illness, we shouldn't be thinking in terms of conventional diagnostic categories. We should be thinking in terms of identifying markers of brain pathology, that kind of uh, lead to vulnerability to mood pathology in general, so yeah, so we're predicting worsening or development of mood related pathology, and by which I mean emotional dysregulation, um, difficulty regulating energy, positive mood, this kind of stuff um, so. This, this, is you know, So this is kind of where we're at at the moment.
0: Well, this is very exciting, but isn't it also the beginning of something else, which is a redefinition of the disorders? Yeah. We're defining the disorders via the part of the brain rather than the symptomatology that the patient Absolutely.
1: brings. Absolutely. And of course, um, it then becomes almost chicken and egg because you're saying, well... If we're thinking about conventional diagnosis, we're saying, here's a diagnosis. let's try and package the brain into neat categories that kind of fit. Well, obviously, that's really not how the brain works. So that ultimately, if we're saying, well, let's forget about thinking about behaviour first, let's think about brain pathology and how that relates to abnormal behaviour, that is the way forward we believe and others believe, obviously, that too. That's the way forward for rethinking about psychiatric illness and probably re. Relabeling the, the disorders um, in the future.
0: We're running out of time and I'm very aware you've got to go to another session, but I want to ask you one final question. What's the future for your research? What's the next step? And what are your plans in terms of where do you see this heading in the, in the future?
1: Well, obviously we have more work to do and we want to... Oh, clearly we need to replicate these findings and, and we're doing that. Um, and there are many layers to this. I've just told you about one area in, in this particular circuitry. There are many other components that we're looking at. So that's one thing we're doing. But the other thing we're doing is now thinking about new treatments, or existing treatments that kind of work, but we're not sure why they work. And to see is, you know, ask the question, can some of these treatments that are currently potentially available, or new treatments that aren't yet available, can we start to use those to manipulate activity or modulate activity in this area, in this circuitry, to improve the outcome for these children? or even adults, young know, adults. Um, and so that's a very exciting area that we're currently involved in.
0: So are you believing that you may be able to demonstrate you can prevent mental illness before it starts that by targeting these children?
1: Absolutely. That would be a gold, a gold, golden goal, as it were, or even a diamond goal. But I think in the first instance, we just need to show that by... Um, these, no- these new treatments, these novel treatments, can actually modulate activity in this area that in turn then kind of reduces the risk for worsening of symptoms. So rather than curing or preventing, it's kind of diminishing the risk of worsening in the first instance. And then ultimately, yes, the idea would be to have an intervention based on knowledge of brain circuitry that actually is preventative.
0: But are you able to say something about what these new novel treatments are?
1: Well one um, treatment um, is something that is around at the moment as a kind of novel treatment for depression and with sort of moderate efficacy and this is called um, transcranial direct current stimulation which is akin to TMS but more about stimulating by electricity in a focal way and the idea is that you know you can use this treatment to target different areas of the brain it's currently being used as a treatment for um, unipolar depression. And then there is another treatment, um, dialectic behavior therapy, which um, is has been used is being used for the treatment of bipolar spectrum disorders in children in the University of Pittsburgh. Um, the question is does this uh, does this treatment, which is very effective for some children, does it work by modulating the circuitry so those kind of questions we're asking right
0: now. One final, final question, <laughs> and I appreciate this may be an unfair question, but has your research reached a stage where if a child came into your clinic and just by random chance you did one of these scans and found this predictive alteration of functioning, would you, at this stage, want to either just follow that child up more closely or would you actually want to offer that child some kind of intervention?
1: Well, obviously this is early stages in the research. Well, not, not that early. A lot of these findings have been published. there in the public domain. Obviously, we'd need to follow the children a little bit more, do some more work, and as I said earlier, we need to replicate these findings, which we're doing. But the key thing is, yes, ideally, and what with, more than ideally, what we want to do is ultimately, not just us, but everyone, to say, okay, this is this individual person's brain function. This is the treatment for you, and there are ways we can we can start examining that statistically. You know, brain study, brain imaging studies have always been based on groups rather than individuals. We now have. Um, analytic methodologies that allow us to examine individual brains and and predict behavior and the future for those individuals based on their individual patterns of brain function so this is not a pipe dream it's a reality and it will happen it's a question of when so and that's our (laughs) challenge
0: professor mary phillips thank you very much indeed thank
1: you very much indeed.